This is The Careful Photograph, and I'm your host, Tara Krynak. Today's episode features the brilliant Aaron Turner and his photograph, The Joy of Roquemore No. 2, from his ongoing multi-part series, Black Alchemy. You can view that photograph and read more about Aaron's practice at thecarefulphotograph.com or on Instagram at thecarefulphotograph. Aaron Turner is an artist, educator, curator, writer, and founder of the Center for Photographers of Color at the University of Arkansas, where he hosts a podcast of his own by the same name. Aaron currently has a solo exhibition at the venerable photo nonprofit Lightwork in Syracuse, New York. The exhibition is titled Black Alchemy Backwards Forwards, and you can find a link to it on our webpage. Describing Aaron's practice, Associate Director Mary Lee Hodgins writes, Artist Aaron Turner's Arkansas Delta community and family taught him to know and understand African-American history, honor its heroes, and respect his elders. The simple and profound gift of this upbringing has allowed Turner to pursue the role of the Black artist and activist in our culture with an unapologetic, single-minded intensity, with deep affinity for the formal quality of black and white photography, Turner uses his large format camera and the alchemical darkroom processes to move back and forth between abstraction, still life, collage, and appropriated archival imagery. The color black itself has a presence in this work, infinite, elegant, unknowable. And in the conversation that follows, you will hear Aaron expand on and reflect the multiplicity of blackness within and beyond analog photography. Blackness as color, blackness as material, blackness as joy, blackness as abstraction, and what he describes as his, quote, right as a black man to enjoy light falling on a wall. For Aaron, abstraction, and its history in the hands of black artists represents a long historical dialogue, one centered on community, joy, and homage. This is reflected in his own wide-ranging practice. As Mary Lee Hodgins writes, his generosity reminds us of artists like Carrie Mae Weems or Dr. Deborah Willis, who all understanding art and power have made it their business to bring a community of artists along with them through the doorway and into the spotlight. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Aaron Turner. I am here with my second guest, Aaron Turner. Aaron, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast today. Thank you for inviting me, Tara. Um, I'm happy to be here talking about phot- uh, photographs. Yes. One of my favorite things to do and just talking <laughs> to other people in general is my favorite thing. I want to dive right into this photograph called The Joy of Roquemore Number 2. The year is 2020. I just was drawn to this photograph in particular. It's part of the Black Alchemy. There may still be time left uh, series. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I want to do for our listeners is describe the photograph because this is a podcast, so we're all listening. We're trying to visualize this photograph. Can you describe this photograph for us in detail? So I'll just start with the aesthetics first, maybe, and then we can 
get into maybe the source material for it. The joy of Rokemore is, I don't know, it's just that. It's just the joy of Eugene Rokemore, and we can get into that a little bit more. But what you're looking at is what sometimes people describe as uh, shards of paper, but there's also some silver reflective tape, uh, silver or like metallic tape in there. There's also black felt. There's some other things in the background. There's tape, um, shapes cut from paper, those paper shards. And it's a projected image of these two uh, African-American men projected onto those objects. And it's a four by five camera that they're sort of holding and investigating and touching and inquiring about, thinking about. And the reason I pulled this photograph to project into space onto these these abstract objects or abstract shapes or geometric shapes, if you will, is how they're looking at the 4x5 camera. And it's it reminds me of how I think about the 4x5 camera. So a lot of times when I'm using archival images and why I still sort of am drawn to them and kind of what pivoted to me to being an artist versus a photojournalist, how I started out, is mm-hmm. because I've come across, I enjoy, I always enjoy looking at other people's images. And then referring that to the archive, I always enjoy looking at archival images because they can serve as these instant stand-ins for like myself, how I think about things, how I remember someone else being, or some part of history that I'm interested in. And so it's like, I don't need to make this same image that Rokemore made. I don't need to go in the studio, hire people and cast them to like remake this image. It already exists and it already represents something as a whole. And it already represents something that I'm drawn to as an individual. So I just project it into space and Mm -hmm. then put it out in the world and just want to talk about it with with other people but it's it's how they're inter, interacting with that four by five camera black alchemy is about investigating the black artists in the studio the expectations of the black artists blackness as material and so this is right up my alley so to see two black men interacting with the camera how did it change their life was it similar to how the camera changed my life Wow, there's so much there. I want to talk a little bit more about this process before mm-hmm. we get into the the meaning. You've you've already um, outlined some of the conceptual layers that I I'm dying to get into. Mm-hmm. But first, I think that for students of photography and for our listeners, it might not be apparent sort of what we're exactly looking at. And you described it as material. So would you describe this as a still life? This image came about after not having access to the studio I had at the time for almost six, seven months. So, mm-hmm. you know, COVID hit in March and in March and they a few days later after they told us to, you know, let all the students out of class, you know, we had a certain amount of time to get stuff from our offices, from our studio, and we just had to stay off campus. And it wasn't until, you know, July and August I made this image. And um, what I, there, I had this, um, I guess it was sheetrock, this wall in my studio, it was in an old dorm. So it just had those old cinder block walls yeah. Uh, but there was fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, and, and it had really low ceilings, but fortunately, uh, there was a sheetrock wall where I could just pin things up. So I just started grabbing material that I had laying around in boxes that I hadn't even, that I ordered just before COVID hit. And so I had yeah. the black felt laying around. I had these prints that I had cut up 
and I had a bunch of other stuff that I don't even know what's in there because when I project the image into that space, it kind of just fills in the gaps and voids right. happen and things get black and things become gray and it kind of just does its own thing. And, you know, that image is horizontal, um, even though I'm photographing it vertically, that's why there's a diptych to it as well, because it was, oh, I want to explore this other half of the image, but I really want to focus in on these two gentlemen interacting with this four by five view camera because I see myself in them. I use the four by five view camera. So Okay, so this image was taken with the four by five view camera. Actually, this was taken with my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be honest with you, because um, at the time I was at the time I. Okay, uh, Aaron, that is amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. In the in the re the reason that yes. So this surprises me. There, there's there's actually so many different layers of re photography happening, and mm -hmm. the move the movement from a projection and this material that you're encountering like in a space. I've used this technique before with a four by five camera mm -hmm. in terms of like setting up a still life and using projection and then re-photographing those projections on paper. And mm -hmm. there's so much magic I think that happens. And I use the word magic on purpose here because I think being in a darkened room with figures that you're mm -hmm. projecting mm -hmm. and then having this to, to me, when I did that, it was almost as if I could feel their presence. Like I was almost reanimating these figures from the past and mm -hmm. allowing myself to sort of have this encounter with the figures. And so I, I, uh, there is a kind of um, presence that is um, made through uh, the projection itself. And then also the move from this kind of analog material to the projection and then back to kind of this lo-fi. Well, cameras aren't really lo-fi. Cell phone cameras mm -hmm. aren't really truly lo-fi anymore. In fact, they're really high quality now. But moving from these different mediums and then using your cell phone camera to capture this image in black and white. Mm -hmm. like I just kind of want to hear you talk a little bit more about that like materiality and that kind of like uh, resurrection of those bodies. Yeah, it's it's almost like I um, it's almost like being a voyeur um, in your own mm -hmm. um, sort of recreation of like you know mm -hmm. looking at these other bodies in the room and you know what that cell phone is kind of natural to me. It, it's kind of just like the four by five because I I really do not like looking through a prism. Or, or a view, or I, uh, what do you call those things? A viewfinder? <laughs> I, do not, I don't like looking through a viewfinder of the camera. So that's why I pretty much only use the uh, 4x5 camera. Even when I'm shooting digital, I still prefer just looking at the screen. Um, if I put my eye to it, it's just not the same. So that cell phone allows me to move around the room and it kind of allows me to explore things more quickly and just sort of move the projector around in space as well. Um, that camera, and, and when you put it in portrait mode, I'm using an iPhone 10. So when you put it in portrait mode, it sort of changes the juxtaposition in it. It just registers things differently. It sees differently than the the uh, the 4x5 view camera in terms of how it records tonality and all this other kind of stuff, what information is revealed, what information is lost. So, you know, so I'll make a bunch of images with, with my cell phone because sometimes I just want to kind of have them 
available instead of taking yeah. a piece of film and scanning it and then trying to look it up on my Dropbox app and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I just want quick references. I was like, oh, yeah. to refer back to. So mm -hmm. that's why I was using that. But in this case, you know, it just kind of worked out naturally because I was slowly working back into picking up my 4 by 5 camera. I haven't really been able to get away from the projector uh, for the last few months. I know. It's, it's <laughs> Me too. I love it. <laughs> so if we went into a gallery space and we encountered this photograph in person, what would it be? Is it a pigment print? How big is it? Is it a silver print? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it would be a silver print because right now I'm working through uh, making this as a, you know, a digital negative and hoping to do, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, an 11 by 14 or 16 by 20 um, mm -hmm. contact print, um, silver gelatin print. So I'm hoping that that is the physicality of that um, print when you when you walk into space because, you know, it's reminding me of the point you made earlier about you know, moving between analog analog and digital um, technology. Yes. So I'm, I'm yes. kind of always in between mm -hmm. those spaces. And I think that would be beautiful for this to make its way back to the analog form. Mm -hmm. Also, Tara, I'm I'm making a zine of this. Um, oh, the ways that these images work together. Mm -hmm. I think I've only seen them on screen. But I would love to see how they interact in that zine form. Can you talk a little bit about those two figures, the two black figures who are two black men who are looking at the camera? And, and you said, I was interested in these two black figures because that's how I look at a camera. And they were looking at this camera. And there's just this it seems as if they are in deep concentration. And I kind of like the ways that it looks as if, I mean, just metaphorically speaking like that, they're on both sides of the camera. They're both like operating the camera, talking about the camera. They're in front of the lens and behind the lens. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about number one, you know, the joy and number two, uh, like whose joy are you referring to? Um, <laughs> Cause I think there's a, there's, different joys there. And then, uh, and then I, I would also ask about Roquemore, the, the history of, um, Roquemore, who I, I honestly had never come across in any of my studies of black photographers. Mm -hmm. so. First, I like to just say that, you know, photography brings me joy and the act of photographing brings me joy. Um, no matter what else comes along with what we do as artists, the act of actually making the thing and doing the thing is what brings me the most joy. And I've really um, realized that uh, in the last few weeks and even which is within the last uh, year, um, that's what I really like doing um, because I was, you know, just working on my own in sort of like this silo for years and felt a certain way about, how the camera changed my life and how if I didn't have it, what would I be doing? And I just can't imagine doing anything else. And we talk about, you know, maybe work receiving rec recognition mm -hmm. and all those other things. I'm sure this image didn't even really become recognized until long after Eugene um, Rokemore had left this earth. So, you know, when I'm looking at this image, I titled, titled it The Joy of Rokemore because he 
he had to have joy in making this image. And if you look at the image as a whole, it looks like he set it up and kind of was directing the five men that are present in this image. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one gentleman looking at film in the background. There's another one holding like a clamp light. Another uh, gentleman is holding like a Roliflex camera. Uh, where he's looking below um, through the viewfinder. And then you got these two gentlemen that I've uh, isolated out with the four by five view camera um, because it's almost like they're caressing the camera. I truly love my four by five camera. Like, <laughs> I love using it. I love looking at it in the studio. I always keep it out of the case on a tripod because and I always uh, keep film holders in my studio loaded. Yeah. Um, because you never know when you're just going to get that moment when you're just going to have that joy and you're like, I got to make this image. I do that too. I keep it. I just keep it as if it's another being in my Mm -hmm. studio. It just sits in the corner, like waiting. I have the one that I use and I don't care how fancy it is or how beat up it is. (laughs) I love the way that it records the time and space that happens in my studio. And the four by five camera in this image looks like a Calumet. Um, it does. I was camera. thinking the same thing. And um, that's one of the first, that, you know, that's how yeah. I was introduced to 4x5. So, yeah, I always yeah. love a Calumet um, uh, camera. And, you know, I love how they're built. It's very simple and uh, very durable and reliable. So, yeah, it's just a bunch of things. And, you know, these two gentlemen had to have joy. Like, I don't know. I know there's joy there. Um, and I'm there projecting is. that on them. And um, even this, even if this image is set up, it's it's they're all in agreement about mm-hmm. the intent of the setup. There's some so, harmony to the image. Yeah. I was thinking as you were talking about joy, um, the other side of joy, pain. And I came across this quote, um, because I just I just streamed the film, I just streamed Arthur Jaffa's Love is the Message, the message is death. The poet Fred Moten describes that um the film and the film's power he says you don't have to know the exact reference for each image to feel the work's density and power um the entanglement of absolute joy and absolute pain that is the fundamental uh to black art and black music and i i kind of was thinking about the joy that is so present in the work that's really palpable but there's also i think pain in the work, at least in the ways that you use the cut mm. and the distortion. And maybe maybe that's not the right word, you know? I don't know. But I, when, when I cut into my images as well, and I think about the archive and what's missing from the archive, um, I think about the violence of the archive as well and um, the absence and the silences of the archive. When you cut an image, when you cut it up, there is a kind of implied violence to that. That also contributes to the abstraction that you're using in the work. I wanted to ask you about the opposite of joy as in pain, if you relate it all to that quote, if there is violence present in the image, if you have thought about the cut or the distortion within the making of of the image at all in relationship to pain. I'm trying to reference geometric abstract painters um, when I'm cutting those uh, sheets of paper. Yeah. yeah, the shapes. It's it's a way for me to sort of control things intuitively as opposed to uh, depending on a digital technology to do that or messing with it in Photoshop later. It's just like I can just do this thing now and record what I was doing for this period of time 
to make this suggestion. Um, but yeah, joy and pain are like one and the same. I guess you have one and one kind of comes as a result of the other, or you have to sort of embrace joy to overcome pain. I'm just thinking about the play on black and white and opposites, negative, positive. There's a lot of that going on in the work. And so it just kind of led me to think about what was the opposite of joy. I wanted to uh, also ask you about, before I forget, um, the black alchemy. Black alchemy is really a powerful title. Mm-hmm. And um it, it makes me think of kind of the, the beginnings of photography and the kind of s- relationship to, you know, the, the the spiritual nature of, I would say, analog photography, the dark room. I once taught a class called The Dark Arts, and it was just wow. all about like abstraction in the dark room, you mm-hmm. know, doing everything um, in the developing trays. Um, and that there is something about like, about, you know, for me, at least this kind of photography with the projections that is, is spiritual, is magical, is alchemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about alchemy and the choice of black alchemy and what does that mean to you? And, um, how does that resonate in your, in your practice? Yeah, I'm I'm actually teaching a class right now um, called Abstraction in Photography, and we're looking at Lyle Rexner's or Rex, Rexner's book uh, from yeah. Aperture, The Edge of Vision, which is pretty amazing, and it's kind of uh, it's changing my practice. And you know, I'm I'm hoping to sort of get out of the studio for the next couple of months and um, just kind of get back to that basic. Uh, alchemy process of developing paper film in the dark room doing everything in the dark room no all everything analog so that's what i'm trying to return to and, and really embrace that alchemy side of uh, uh black alchemy but black alchemy title came from you know when i was in a grad a grad student at Rutgers, and i had um I was working in the studio using mirrors and all this kind of stuff and then one day i just kind of cracked the dark room open and it kind of let this light in. And then I started using, um, you know, the door that was coming from the next room, the light from the door that was leaking in from the next room because the dark room was pitch black. And then I started photographing at the enlarger station and using the enlarger light um, to light whatever sculptures or still lifes that I was setting up at the enlarger station. So I was like, uh, and then I was taking that film and developing it. And so I was like, this is just basic chemistry. It's an alchemic process. And I really don't know how things are going to turn out. Um, Cause I'm, ma- I'm metering and I'm metering for the blacks or metering for the whites, letting everything else kind of fall off. And, you know, sometimes I don't know how it's going to come out. Um, Cause yeah. sometimes I'm guessing, <laughs> sometimes I second guess the meter and I'm like, no, it should be this. And mm-hmm. so is that side of it, actually the actual mixing of the chemicals. And then I actually, you know, I happen to be a black man. I've lived a black life. Black existence is, you know, pretty much all I know or the perspective that I can come at things from. But I'm also thinking about that metaphor of black and white of Western American history. And then also mm-hmm. blackness as material, black paintings, the absence of light, dark room print, you overexpose it, it just turns black right there in front of yeah. your eyes <laughs> in the developing tray. So, um, but that alchemic process, uh, there is sort of a spiritual side to it. I think is you know, when you have, you know, you know, I have my ideas and I'm putting them out there in the world and I'm creating these like 
you know, installations in the studio, there is a spiritual component to setting things up and photographing them and then hanging on on the wall. Like, I just feel like, you know, it can be as spiritual as you want it to be or not. It, it can just be the, the, you know, processes in general, like repetitions in general, uh, repeating things verbally or repeating things out of habit is all um, spiritual things you can put in a spiritual context. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about that. And I love that you sort of drew that from it as well. But yeah, Black Alchemy is is just trying to um, understand um, the Black artist, the Black artist's role in the studio as an artist and Blackness as material and, you know, the void of Blackness and the expectations of that um, sometimes. There's something about, and I've been posing this question to a lot of artists of color who are making work about race and identity that does not feature their own bodies, that does not put their own bodies on display and in fact denies representation. And then many of your photographs are kind of hover between representation and abstraction. One of the questions I'm interested in is like this idea of who has the right to abstraction and um, what are the expectations from like the art market for artists of color to put our bodies on display in order for it to be identity work? And I just wondered if you could speak just a little bit more about um, abstraction, the history yeah. of abstraction, its importance to you as a Black artist and what that means to you. Yeah, it, it comes from of some very specific places and um, I love abstraction and my yeah. work is Black and white. And it's abstract, but it also kind of hovers around representation a little bit mm -hmm. because I'm using, you know, bodies and figures in yeah. these prints that I'm re-photographing. So I'm trying to take the past and present, put that together and make speculative images that speak about the future. So I'm trying to mm -hmm. create an aesthetic around these sometimes horrible histories. They don't always talk about joy, but I'm mm -hmm. trying to get people to see them in a different way. You know, if you see an image of MLK, what do you think? What conversation can we have about that based on your life experience, based on my life experience? And then the next person and then the next person and then the next person. That's really why I make my work to have conversations with people uh, like I'm doing now. And I kind of retreat to abstraction or seek abstractions. It's not that I have an issue with representational work or figurative work. And I look at a lot of painting. I love painting. That's more one of my uh, main inspirations before photographs or the history of photography. I always refer back to the history of painting and um, all that good stuff. And Kerry James Marshall, um, mm -hmm. I'm always sort of studying his lectures and um, uh, listening to his calls to actions or challenges to artists and his journey and all that good stuff. I'd rather re-photograph a portrait than make a portrait. That's sort of where I am. I just feel like there's just been too much overlooked and the images just keep being added to the void. I'm talking about just a straight on portrait, no concept kind of images. And, um, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of just generalizing, not saying that people don't yeah. have like concepts to their work or anything like that, but I don't want to add to that. I don't want to add mm -hmm. another body to the canon. <laughs> if that's the best way to explain it, I rather take other people's images and reinterpret them, recontextualize them, mm -hmm. because I love looking at those images. But I don't want to be sucked into making those images, I feel. <laughs> and so I would like to have more conversations with people about that. I, I also feel as though other people can do those images a lot better than I can. So <laughs> this is enough people doing them and 
You know, yeah. it's just, you know, you even think about Instagram, the billions of images that are taken every day. It's just, I mean, where does that even leave us? It's, it's kind of crazy. But um, and then in terms of abstraction and black artists, there's this article titled Why It's Not Enough to Say Black is Beautiful by Frank Bowling. Um, and it was written in 1971. <laughs> and one of the quotes that I love from it is the traditional aesthetic of black art is often considered pragmatic, uncluttered and direct, hinging on secrecy and disguise. Um, and so I wrote in my own statement, uh, Bowling's statement resonates with me and, and how I engage with representation and art through photography. In my work, I use abstraction to consider the following ideas, thoughts, or questions to shift the analysis away from or toward the Black artist as subject, emphasize Blackness as material, insisting on Blackness as a multiplicity, what the color Black or Black art does in the world without conflating it. Um, I also like to consider who under, who understand Blackness from within a system that deems them Black that is Black people and Black artists <laughs> are the only ones that can really express that. So, And then considering and understanding that art history and American uh, history often reflect an established singular historical narrative or monolithic subjectivity. So those are all the things that I'm trying to hint at in my work. And then also through using and embracing an abstraction, um, I love when Frank Bowling says uh, secrecy and disguise. Um, because I'm, I'm not, sh- I'm not sh- secrecy in disguise. Yeah. Cause I'm not sure here if he's saying that, um, I'm not sure if he's saying it in a negative or a positive way. I've always thought about that. <laughs> and that's why that quote stood out to me. I was like, well, I do like to be secret and I do like disguising myself in my work. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love that space. Um, because sometimes I can hide my identity and then the conversation can go a different way. And I don't see that as a negative. Uh, I should be able to make a black painting, like add Reinhardt and the conversation be about black paint. Uh-huh. Exactly. exactly. So that's that's kind of how I think about abstraction and who has the right to it and to use it. Um, and another thing Frank Bolin was talking about in that article is like um, how people won't talk about the formative ways of it and they go directly to the identity aspect of the work. And that's the mm-hmm. only way they can speak from it. And when right. all of these artists, he's talking about five different black artists in this um, mm-hmm. in this article. He's talking about William T. Williams um, and Melvin Edwards um, and the other two are blank. Oh, no, um, Jack Whitten. And there's one other gentleman I'm forgetting, um, but he's talking about these five artists in this in this in this in the show he curated. And he's like, um, it, the conversation is always about identity. It's not about these formal aspects. Um, and there's another piece of writing that I remember reading from an, um, someone else, and it's talking about these artists were literally just trying to add to the canon of abstraction. They just happen to be black artists. Um, but they really were just trying to add to the overall art historical narrative. And then they are also in the seventies up against that um, call by um, Elaine Locke talking about um, making um, figurative, figurative uh, black representational work. And so people like Howard Dina Pendale were faced with, Oh, you're just putting circles on a canvas. What is that doing for the um, black people? And so that's the kind of, you know, all these artists, Frank Bowling included, that's the kind of the attitude that they were met with by the predominantly white art world and by other black artists at that time. So their resilience 
uh, because some of these artists uh, have been making 40 and 50 years and they have not stopped. That alone right there makes me want to use abstraction because they ignored all the stuff that people were saying to them and about <laughs> their work and they just kept doing it. So that's why I love uh, resilience. I love abstract art. Um, I love being able to embrace that. I've always loved looking at light and pictures since I was a little boy. Mm-hmm. And I just happen to be doing what I'm doing now. And, you know, even now I enjoy, I get really excited when I see light peeking through a window. I see light covering a sidewalk, um, you know, uh, natural light, uh, how light hits my plants in the morning. Like, I love all that stuff. And I just saw these set of images of uh, Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King were on vacation in Hawaii. Um, and I'm like, we don't see enough of those images of King. Like when he was relax, relaxing and when he was enjoying sitting down at the beach mm-hmm. or walking through his home um, on the way to the dinner table, maybe there was the late evening light coming through, you know, the side Imagine mirror light. in the hallway. It's like, I know King had those moments. I know Malcolm X had those moments. Angela Davis had those moments. And that's what I'm really concerned about. But I just try to talk about that through the context of how their lives are sort of generalized um, through martyrdom and pain and mm-hmm. all this other stuff that's hard to sort of talk about and digest. And I can't imagine living through myself. So I have the right as a black man to enjoy light reflecting on a wall, just like mm-hmm. everyone else does. <laughs> Aaron, thank you mm-hmm. so much. That is, I think that is a, an excellent place to end. That was incredible. That was, I think it's going to be hard okay. to edit. <laughs> um, but I so much appreciate you spending so much time with me and I can't wait for your visit. Oh, great. Great. I can't, I can't wait, wait for that either. Hopefully yeah. I have a prompt by yeah. then for the students. No problem. Thank you so much, Sean and Tara. Thank you so much for inviting me. I enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, that was <laughs> The end of every episode We ask all of the artists to give us a creative prompt or an assignment for students or listeners. And Aaron really wanted more time to think about this, and so he emailed me this assignment later on. He writes, Dear students, oftentimes when I'm working in my studio, I have these reoccurring thoughts, mostly self-examining through my life experiences and how the world sees me. I think about the topic of race a lot. What are those blurred lines between what we are taught and shown in the media in comparison to our lived experience? As artists, we have to find some way to deal with the present while also thinking about the past and future. To do this, I use abstraction. I use abstraction as a tool to speak about race. It provides me the tools to intellectually and aesthetically make images that address my ideas and historical notions on race while also speculating about or imagining the future. Assignment. Responding. Students will read White Being Black Being Metaphysics of Race by Charles W. Mills and respond to the article by making a single photograph examining the idea of one's own quote life world experience which is mentioned at the end of the article. Use collage, in-camera, Photoshop, scanning, found objects, material, and or still life techniques in the vein of abstraction to make a single image in response to the article. And of course, he also lists a few artists for inspiration. And you can find 
links to the essay, White Being Black Being, Metaphysics of Race, on our website, thecarefulphotograph.com. And you can also see that list of um, artists to look at for inspiration. And if you do the assignment, just tag your photograph, the careful photograph, and we'll feature some of them in our stories. Thank you for listening.